all your school rugby all in one place. This is Next Gen 50. Hello and welcome to the Next Gen 15 podcast. I'm Angus Savage. This week we have a very special guest because Dan Richards is sadly away. We have Will Roberts from Young Rugby, who you're going to be hearing loads of over the course of the next few days because he's part of our commentary team over at the St. Joseph's Festival. So, Will, good to have you on and uh, hearing your voice a little earlier than all expected this week. Well, yeah, I think uh, unlucky for some, um, but no, it's it's great to be here uh, chatting all things rugby. No, it's going to be great to have you along. And uh, Will, how can people um, get in touch with you? Um, over at Young Rugby on pretty much every social media now. So uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, even uh, things like TikTok as well uh, for more younger viewers. Um, you can head over there um, and get in touch via those channels. I'm told we have a TikTok account as well. I know nothing about <laughs> it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, by the way, it's at NextGen15. That's at NextGenXV on Instagram, Twitter, etc. all the rest. And you can listen to us on Acast, Apple Podcasts. Spotify, you can watch us on YouTube if you're brave, uh, and apparently there's uh, there's something going on on Amazon as well. So we'll uh, I'll keep you informed on that. Stay tuned. Um, we're just going to start with a little bit of news because the RFU made a statement um, regarding Worcester Warriors, and in terms of pathways and academy players, it's quite a tricky old time on that front. So I just thought we'd release the, well, we'd share the statement they made, which is we are fully committed to ensuring local academy opportunities are provided for pathway players. Which doesn't really say anything, but I guess it says that they've not forgotten that um they need to do something about the fact that there's a whole load of academy players who um need some information. I mean it's um it's a scary time because you look at obviously the Worcester Warriors situation is a, a very disappointing one. Um but uh, I don't think many people realise just how many sort of people the, the whole situation affects. Not just the 23 that play in uh, in Premiership rugby, but all of these players from sort of under 14 DPP all the way up to um, under 18 are, are going to get affected. So hopefully we can see some sort of centralisation uh, in a similar sense to sort of with uh, Leeds Carnegie in, in, in Yorkshire becoming Yorkshire Rugby Academy. Um, obviously that sort of stunts a pathway for a clear pathway for players to go but look at Dan Lancaster who came through recently from Yorkshire Rugby Academy obviously now or, well picked up initially by Leicester uh, now out at Ealing um, so so there is still hope uh, for these young players I'm sure they'll find a home um, but um, yeah it'd be really good to sort of just make sure that these players are protected and it, it's got to happen quick it's got to happen quick yeah, I mean, in reality, it needs to happen, in my opinion, by Christmas. Once the um, Under-18 Academy League kicks off again, um, I think I think those pathway players need to be playing games. You know, we've seen we've seen what's happened with England under twenties not playing enough games as individuals. That a very high quality team in terms of player ability ends up not quite getting the results that might be expected of them because they simply don't have the game time under the belt. Um, so you, you'd hope that these guys can get the uh, the game time. Um, but I'm going to kind of rattle through the news because this is a uh, St. Joseph's Festival special, but we'll also be diving in a bit on the Merkiston Castle Festival. Um, a little bit of news from the RFU actually on uh, the Community Rugby Injury Surveillance Project. Um, we're not going to get into it too much, but basically get in touch with the RFU um, if you want to be a part of this. It's basically a load of research to help understand injuries and sort of schools community rugby level uh bath uni are, are um kind of running it all uh it's massively important i mean will i'm sure you've seen like every single game this year has got a huge injury break it's not necessarily because there's more injuries it's because people are taking more care but the more the more research we can do just the better absolutely uh, echoing all of that i mean it's such a uh, as the game uh, under 18 level is getting faster stronger harder uh, these players need to be uh, looked after in the same sort of fashion. So it's good to see the RFU taking that initiative. Um, you may have seen this week in the news, or the last few weeks, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of news about chess, cheating in chess specifically. Uh, now don't worry, I'm not about to go into a chess tangent, but it's reminded us that we are, over the course of the next week or so, we're going to be releasing our Next Gen, next gen 15 sort of ranking system for um, for School First 15 rugby. Uh, just a way of sort of gauging where we think each team each team stands. 
But the reason I speak of chess is because it's chess that has inspired this. The chess ELO rating system is what we're, what we're going to use, uh, which is very complex. I don't understand it. It's chess. It's very mathematical. But I've had a look at, the, uh, I've had a look at the, what things look like at the moment in terms of the system. And it does seem to be pretty accurate. So I'm quite happy with that. Um, it involved us having to rate every single school in the country where we thought they might be uh, during pre-season and then spent the first half of the season working out whether or not we were wrong or right. Differing opinions in some cases as to whether we were right or wrong. But we should have something for us next week. But two teams that are going to be flying up near the top of that are Wellington College and Millfield, who put on the most extraordinary game in the school's championship. Did you get a chance to see it? It was just mad. Absolutely I, I, mad. I did. I, I watched it back on, on replay. Um, and yeah, just the quality of rugby and, and handling especially. I look at a few of those Wellington tries and you'd be, you'd be hard to find that at, at premiership standard. Um, the the flow, free-flowing rugby that these, um, these schools seem confident enough to be able to create just creates such a good spectacle to be watching. Yeah, massively. And I think the... I mean, it, we'll we'll get into this when we get onto the St Joseph's Festival, I suppose. But the the thing that becomes immediately apparent with games like these as they get towards towards the end is this is not like watching I don't know Premiership football or Premiership rugby, where yes, a a, a good result is a good result, and you're very happy about it because these fixtures are all you know they're part of a very small window of time in which you're playing alongside these people. They mean masses. I mean, the celebrations at the end for Millfield, huge. Like, the passion's just unbelievable for what is, in effect, just a mid-season game. But because of the, the nature of it, because everyone knows how big that game is, because of how good those two teams potentially are, it just creates this incredible atmosphere. Um, and, well, if we get finishes like that, yeah. special times. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that, that ending is fairly similar to that of... Um the, the way that Millfield managed to, to win the St. Joe's uh, trophy last year and just still being able to, to close out a game um, and um, get, making sure they're getting over the ball, uh, working hard to, again, it's just to, to have that sort of composure at the age of 18. Um, we're having to see it more and more as sort of younger players are thrown into more high-pressure scenarios, whether it be all the way up at international level with teenagers starting for their country. Yeah. Or, or, or sort of a, a premiership level uh, all the way down to now under 18s where these sort of trophies and, and games, as you said, mid-season game means just so much. Um, these, these boys really need to be um, uh, screwed on for, for the, the whole season now. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible to watch both those sides at the um, at St. Joseph's Festival. But before we get into that, there's another game that is just jumping off the page to me this week. Black Rock College against Sedbergh. Ireland against England, that famed sort of Leinster Academy, in effect, taking on the might of English schools rugby, that is special beyond belief. An absolute humdinger. Uh, I mean, Blackrock are, are, have always been infamous for just sort of creating this conveyor belt of Irish talent. And Sedba, um, I mean, in, in this sort of recent spike in popularity of schoolboy rugby, they've really led the charge. Um, you look at your two Colossu, Red Car, um, Curtis, these these boys have, have come through that that set the rank and and really really shone at schoolboy rugby level. Um, so and now they've got um, obviously a different a different set coming through, and um, yeah, it's going to be a really enticing game. I I, I can't see which way it's going to go because obviously these two teams there's there's no comparables. They don't regularly sort of play each other. They don't have um, mutual sort of competitors either. So it is a completely blank slate and we don't know what to really expect from this game. So it just makes it all that more exciting. Yeah, that's the thing. We just we just don't know. I mean, for all, for all we know, one of them could go and stick 50 on the other mm. or it could be, you know, 20 all draw, can't separate the two of them. It could be nil-nil. It's it's such an unknown. There are, there are no predictions that can be made really other than the fact that we are going to see one of the very best in England, if not the best, up against one of the very best in Ireland, if not the best. And that I think it was three years ago they met and Sebba won 24-22. So we hope that we get something similar, but it's going to be absolutely brilliant. The uh, 
the only downside is that that you and I won't get to watch it live because there's, there's something bigger going on this weekend in terms of number of teams, in terms of history, and in terms of prestige. And that is the St Joseph's Festival. You're going to be one of our lead commentators there. What are you feeling about it? Looking forward to it? So excited. So excited. It is, for me, the highlight of the schoolboy rugby year um, because it's it's such a it's smack bang in the middle of the season. Um, so it's a real, usually a turning point for, for a lot of teams. You look at a side like Trinity, who are coming in unbeaten, um, compared to a, a side um, like Millfield, who have had, obviously, this, this win against Wellington, which gives them a good sort of uh, catalyst going into the competition. But in comparison to recent years, haven't had the, the best of form um, during this sort of first half of um, the, the main rugby term. So it's... Um, it can be a real turning point for these schools. And um, I think there are so many dark horses um, within this uh, competition now that there are sort of a good eight or nine teams that you can look at and go, oh, I can, I can give you a run. And uh, we've got to mention it's not just about the cup as well. You've got the plate, the bowl, and the shield to play for. So there is, at all levels of sort of competition, there is uh, always going to be tense and tight moments. So it's just such a good competition to, to go to. I think that's the thing. Yeah, it's, well, two points there that I think are key. One is, I had exactly the same thought as you. I was looking through the teams that, that are attending and going, yeah, they could win it. Oh, they could win it too. Oh, and then. And I got to about eight or nine teams and went, wow, this is, this is open. To the extent that I think in our preview yesterday, I wrote that this was, um, this was potentially the most incredible lineup we've ever seen at the St. Joseph's Festival, the most competitive, the deepest, the most potential champions. And it's not because of a, a lack of quality at the top levelling the field. It's about an abundance of quality at the top. Um, it's from that side of things, I just cannot wait. But I think you're right as well. You know, you've got those three other those three other trophies up for up for grabs. And if anyone thinks that they're um, those those trophies aren't going to be competed for with just the same fervour as the uh, as the top end, they've got another thing coming. Yeah, last year the hosts St Joseph's uh, St Joseph's College winning the winning the shield, you'd think they'd be really disappointed with that. Not a bit of it. As soon as they knew that was up for grabs, they were all in for it, and it led to some of the greatest drama I think we've ever seen at the St Joseph's Festival. Partly because of the new format, because we introduced penalty shootouts. And I want to get into penalty shootouts because I tell you what, they're controversial, but I loved it last year. Absolutely loved it. So cool. It is. It was just such a a tense moment that, and some of them, I think think it was that St. Joe's one, went on for ages. Yeah. I mean, tight head props were, were sort of getting a bit nervous thinking that maybe they get uh, sort of called up the amount of um, kicks that they're having to go to I think we went all the way out to uh, out to five as well um, yeah we were I think, I think we were doing that we were we were all over the place yeah, <laughs> it was exactly. um, it was amazing to watch and the um, yeah I mean I suppose I mean to go through the controversy on the people don't like penalties because it puts undue pressure on school players I kind of get that fine but here's the thing with penalties and why they exist we have to set if it's a knockout competition, someone has to progress. These games are limited to only 20 minutes. Therefore, there is an undue premium on scoring a try. So if two teams score and you end up level, it is grossly unfair to say to one team, either you scored first or you scored last. Therefore, you're progressing, even though you've not outperformed anyone. You just, by virtue of when you happen to score, we've decided you're progressing. So you need something else. Your options are then a coin toss. Or a penalty shootout. I think we'll have a penalty shootout. And you know what? These are some of the best in the best, the best of the best, rather, in schools rugby. They can handle a bit of pressure. You know, they've got good coaches around them, good people around them. If it goes wrong, there'll be an arm around the shoulder. There won't be fingers pointed. There won't be blame adjusted. You'll hear it in our commentary. There's no blame attached to someone missing one of these things. My God, could you imagine? No, not a bit of it. It's all about the drama, the tension, the excitement and the opportunity and that's why they're so good because it just added I mean this is one of the most dramatic weekends anyway and then you're adding in a layer that just makes it all the more dramatic I mean imagine if the final goes down to penalties in the trophy (laughs) it would be unbelievable I think uh, another point to mention is that these these boys they're they're the first to put their hands up for it 
yeah. no boy no boy is sort of stepping up to that tee so unsure on on whether they want to sort of go ahead with it otherwise their coaches wouldn't be putting them there it is it is very much player led you see when when that penalty shootout is called by the referee the sort of glint in a few players eyes who have been out there on that wet cold tuesday night um still kicking at goal after everyone's gone home and that's their moment to shine that's their particular specialty so players jump at this opportunity um so you, I, I think it's it's harsh to say that it's a, a difficult way to go or a difficult way to progress because these these boys are up for it and and they want to they want to do it and want to be that that name and lights for their school Hundred percent, and it's a it's a prop stream, is it not? Every every prop in the world spends the first twenty minutes of every training session kicking a goal. Now they actually get to use that skill that they've been honing for so long. This is the chance. Can't wait. Um, but having a look at the groups, um, I mean the groups are all. Um, I mean we've talked about how good all the teams are. The groups are all unbelievable. But what are your predictions? We get two teams going through to the trophy quarterfinals from each group. What are you thinking? Group one, we've got Denston, Dulwich, Hurst, and Wellington College. What do you reckon? Mm, I, I think I think this one. Um, I, I can't see past Denston and Wellington. Um, I think that um, Dulwich have had a difficult start to the year. Um, they've obviously not got the likes of someone like Zach Carr, who for them last year was just so monumental. Yeah, built the team around him, didn't they? It was brilliant. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think they've potentially uh, lost a real talisman uh, in him and uh, Denson being Denson um, I think this 20 minute shortened format sort of really works well into yeah. their favour um, they've got a great physical fitness and stamina to go through a whole tournament and their size and power to sort of just muscle over and get that physicality could really work in their favour they got top four was it last year? Yeah came fourth in fact met Wellington in the third fourth playoff so um that that'll be a that'll be an interesting grudge match. I think it's an interesting point you make actually about Denston's physicality as well because I often think St Joe's doesn't really reward physicality that well. You know, we saw Kirk and Grammar last year in a way they kind of punched themselves out because they just they're so physical and on day one they looked like the dominant force, but they were hanging on for bodies and stuff by by the end. This is a good group for a physical side like Denston. It's quite a it's quite a backs orientated move the ball kind of a group so the physicality element is quite low in relative terms I mean everyone can play a pretty physical standard but you know we're everything's relative so if they can get through this first day without having too much of a physical challenge even if they drop a game against Wellington or something qualify second say but then on day two they're fresher than other physical teams because they've had a more physical group they could find themselves at a real advantage. It'd be, I'd be intriguing to see. I think they're a proper dark horse. Um, and then, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Wellington College, the the other ones that I would expect to go through. Um, yeah, they they also have the great advantage of just massive depth, um, which is a which is a huge help. Uh, group two, this one's awesome. Yeah. Two new teams, Marlborough College and Trinity. Trinity, as you say, unbeaten, come in as schools cup champions. One of the few teams I think that's ever walked into this on their debut and goes in straight as a favourite. And then alongside them, Whitchurch High School and Kirkham Grammar School, who obviously won the plate last year and reached the final in their debut in 2019. That's a that's a pretty spicy group. Absolutely. I, I think that um, Marlborough and, and Whitchurch, um, I think, potentially might have a, a slightly tougher time of it because Kirkham, Kirkham and Trinity, for me, I mean, they're... They're, they're two sides of the coin in their, <laughs> yeah. in their playing style. I mean, you couldn't get more two sort of or different teams. It's like um, uh, because Trinity, who who build their side around someone like Josh Bellamy, who I think is going to have a stormer. Um, yeah. of a he look, he's so well suited to the St Joe's format as well. I think I just think he's a perfect player for it. Look at look at the way that he's tore up Seaford Ten last uh, last year, um, just before the seventh season, single handedly. Um, winning it for Trinity um, with a, a score in the final and then a, a, a drop kick conversion. I mean, the the boy the boy is special. He's got yeah. some real Marcus Smith qualities about him. Um, so I, I think that um, I think Trinity and Kirkham um, will probably be heading through with this. But I'm really looking forward to Tri- uh, to Kirkham Whitchurch. I think yeah. for, for physicality, I think that could be a really 
tough game. And as you mentioned, some similar sort of potential to Denston, Kirkham could have a real tough time of it against Whitchurch and really tire themselves out and potentially have a repeat of last year. But and, and, any difference on that? Marlborough, potentially? I think Marlborough, are the, Marlborough and Whitchurch are two sort of unknown quantities in a funny sort of way. So Whitchurch an unknown quantity because they're just playing a completely different circuit to everyone. And, you know, much like the year where they turned up with um, Christians and it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this guy's a freak. Um, and no one was pre- was prepped for it. Um, yeah, the, you, just the nature of being on a different circuit, they could they could just shock people. And uh, at Marlborough, they play a good brand of rugby. They're very... Yeah, they tend to score a lot of points. They tend to play quite wide, quite fast, not dissimilar to Trinity in a way. So there is the there is a uh, the opportunity for them if they get you know we, we know that early points are a massive boost in this tournament because just so there's not enough time to claw back that they are the sort of side that could hit you for two quick tries early, and then and then they might be on the back foot. But all they've got to do then is hold out. So they could be an interesting one. But I think. Yeah, you can't look past Kirkham and Trinity, can you? I mean, they they're two of the best teams in the country. I mean, I would rate both of them probably in the top five at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah they they're just incredible. Uh, group three, reigning champions Millfield, new boys Strathallan from Scotland, and then two former champions from the nineties, Quegs Wakefield and RGS Newcastle. No, sorry, not from the nineties with RGS Newcastle, two thousand and eighteen. That's quite a difference. Um, Millfield, Quags, Wakefield, RGS, Newcastle, Strathallan. What are your thoughts on this one? It's my favourite group. Uh, I think that other than Millfield, um, who, who I think will go through, between Newcastle, Strathallan and Wakefield, it is a complete dogfight. Um, I think that any team there could turn up against any team. Um, Quags, Wakefield are usually seen as like the, the punching bag in, in, in a few of these competitions. Had a tough time last year. Um, it at St. Joe's and uh, I think they were up at, they were up at Sedba um, uh, at the end of last season um, gave it a good showing um, and had a few sort of standout names who um, if I think if I recall correctly the majority of their strong players were younger boys who were lower tick then yeah. so potentially could be reaching their peak now so um, I think that the Strathallan are coming in as, it, as we've said in a similar vein to, to Marlborough and Whitchurch, unknown quantities. We, we don't know how, how they'll turn up. Obviously got one of the longest journeys as well. That player factor, the fact that they're, they're playing so far from home, lots of tired and, and sore bodies sort of making the way all, all the way down from Scotland. Um, but I, I, I don't know, I, I think Millfield, and then it's a toss up for me between Newcastle and Wakefield. I'd love to see Wakefield go through. Um, Be cool, wouldn't it? I, I think I don't know I, I'm going to leave this one to you Angus because I, I think it's a, it's a tough group well I'm with you on Millfield I mean they you know they're one of one of the favourites heading into it particularly after what happened at the weekend it's an interesting group because the travel all of them have to travel a fair way yeah. which could it might ease Strathallan's concerns on that I think though I'd lean RGS Newcastle to go through for two reasons one the, they've got that recent history there's probably a few boys in there that have, you know, grown through the school on stories of what happened in 2018. Um, and also, they've played some tough teams this year. They've played Sedba. All right, they were well beaten, but who's not beaten by Sedba? Um, but that experience of having played against a sort of top of the top of the, top of of the the pile kind of a school may just help them. It's sort of battle-hardening in a way. So I think they might... They might just be the ones to sneak through alongside Millfield. Um, but it's going to be a really interesting group. Not as interesting, I think, as Group 4, though. Brighton College, Hampton, RGS High Wycombe and St. Joseph's College, where I think there are two sides that stand out as the ones that will go through. However, I also think both of them could easily come unstuck, particularly against the hosts, because you just don't know what St. Joseph's College might do. And RGS High Wickham do not roll over for anybody, no. so I think you could be a, you could be in a spectacular group there. Uh, I, I, this this group this group is really mouthwatering. Um, you know, Brighton, who I think were were hard done by last year, obviously got into the final, um, had an incredible team, sort of um, put together by by Johnny Smith, who was the real harsh. God, he was amazing last year, wasn't he? Yeah. 
he really was. Um, Charlie Clare as well had an excellent tournament at nine. Um, uh, so I, I think, yeah, uh, they they all look strong. Hampton um, again, who who always seem to fall short in these sort of competitions, but go in as um, as sort of fairly firm favourites. In recent years, they've they've struggled at the likes of Roslyn Park and and Sedfer and and St Joe's. Um, sort of heading towards the second tier of competition in, in the majority of those um, uh, big tournaments. Um, St. Joseph's College, uh, it, when you've got a, a coaching setup of uh, Roland Winter as your, your DOI, you've got um, James Ingle uh, as well as your assistant director of sport. I mean, they're, they're looking almost like a semi-professional outfit yeah. at the moment um, with, the, with, the, with the coaching group that they've brought in. I, I've heard that they've... Um, also added a few a few extra players um, from one from the Netherlands, um, who I'd love to hear more about, um, as well as as well as a few other talents, and um, have have had a strong start to the season, a few fifty pointers. So um, I think if if there's any if there's any chance that, that uh, Joey's are, are going to be able to make a mark on their own turf, that it, it very well might be now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the. Probably their biggest challenge is that the three sides that are alongside them have real festival experience and so know what to expect. They know the storm that's coming when you run out against St. Joseph's College. I think if they had one or two of the new teams in their group, they could shock them, absolutely shock them, because I just think that the atmosphere created, the passion generated is, is like nothing else you see in schools rugby when St. Joseph's run out of the festival. And I think a lot of a lot of new teams won't be prepped for that. I think you know Brighton College under Nick Boy, Hampton under um, Andy Beattie, and, and RGSI Wickham under Ben Honeybent. They've they know what they're doing. They've yeah. been there and done that. So I think it will. I think that element may be reduced slightly, um, and you might end up with matches that are more of a more of an on the field contest rather than a, a headspace contest. But yeah, any individual at any moment can get can get caught up in that atmosphere. Um, for me, Hampton go through definitely. Mm-hmm. I think you know they arrive unbeaten. They've played some unbelievably good schools this year mm-hmm. um, and come up on the right side and without too much difficulty in doing that as well. Um, you know, got a decent chance of adding to that twenty fifteen title. Um, Brighton College as well. They just. It's been a funny old season. They've been beset with injuries and they've not necessarily had all the results that they might want, but they seem to have most of their boys back now. And I cannot remember the last St. Joseph's Festival where Brighton College didn't turn up. They just, you know, when the music stops, Brighton College College are there kind of thing. It it just always seems to work out that way. So I, I think those two go through, but RGS and St. Joe's are not going to make it easy for anyone. They are really going to make it tough and uh, they will be frustrated and angry if they don't get through to the to the trophy quarterfinals, which means watch out every single other team in the bowl. Mm. Mm, exactly. But um, I think it'd be great. We've had some amazing, I mean, we've had some incredible um, festivals over the years. Last year, I thought it was just incredible. It felt particularly special because it was that we'd been missing a year. Yeah. And then we came back and it was I there was just something unique about the atmosphere. It was, it was semi-grateful just to be there, mm. semi-celebration of just all things school rugby. And then, of course, you've just got the, you know, just the St. Joe's factor mm. to just lob in on top. It just felt, it felt incredible. And, and um, yeah, when the uh, sort of phrase I've already used, but when the music stops, Millfield win kind of thing, a record-breaking title, their seventh, taking them one clear of Colston's. And incredibly, I was doing a bit of research the other day, so Colston's have won six in Joseph Festival's titles. Yeah. Millfield have won seven. The next closest is three, <laughs> <laughs> which is St. Joseph's College, St. the Jones, hosts, yeah. who've always been there. And uh, Filton College won three back when uh, when the Ace Colleges were, um, were a part of things. No one else, aside from those four, has won more than one. It's wow. an, uh, when you put it into that context, Millfield winning seven is extraordinary. Yeah. It's it's the repeat of success after success after success, and it, 
in a schoolboy context, it's very rare that you get that considering that you have massive turnover each year. You, yeah. you get a new, completely new squad. And dissimilar to club rugby, where you can, like a, you can have a Saracens-esque dominance because you're keeping the same core of players for five, six years. You're turning over in schoolboy rugby, which seems, sounds obvious, but it's um, a massive factor as to why we get so much turmoil in the, the sort of top ranks of schoolboy rugby. But the fact, the fact that Millfield, we sort of say every year, we're like, oh, surely, I mean, we've got to put them up there, but surely this year isn't as good as last year. Last year, they were amazing. This year, well, no, can't, can't be as good. But then they go and do it again. And yeah. they, they keep on creating names out of these players. And um, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll see it again this time around. Yeah, and I, I, I think that stat in many ways should encourage basically all 15 other teams because in essence, if Millfield don't win, you have a huge chance of winning because it's always a different team that wins. Yeah. So you just look at it and go, well, anyone can win now. Mm. So it, I think it, it blows things wide open. Um, but I'm just I'm sort of reflecting on that, that Millfield that Millfield team last year. I look back to 2014, one of my first St. Joseph's festivals, and they won the title with this. It was an incredible team, but the performance from Tom Whiteley was just outrageous. Mm -hmm. He was like, at that point, I think he was like low six or something. Mm -hmm. And um, he weighed about four stone. Mm -hmm. I, he, he looked like it was going to be a painful, painful, was painful he, was weekend. Was he playing at fly half? He was playing fullback at that point. They were trying to keep him out. They were trying to keep him out of the firing line. <laughs> like, yeah. He was so small. Yeah. But he just, as soon as he touched the ball, it was like, oh, wow. This this guy's special. And we've seen that year after year. I mean, the year before, Lewis Ludlam leading St. Joseph's College to um, to the title was just a beast. And he was, more than that, he was a presence. And, and it's unusual to see that at school at schoolboy level where someone exudes leadership in that kind of Andy Farrell fashion where they yeah. sort of appear on the scene and you go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm listening to whatever this person yeah. says. <laughs> Um, a funny fact about that: Will Stace, one of our um, one of our other commentators for the weekend, sent me a photo of him as a as a ball boy holding Lewis's Ludlam Lewis Ludlam's hand as Ludlam <laughs> ran out for the St Joseph's Festival final in 2013. Oh, wow. um, and now Will will be uh, on the mic in 2022. Amazing. Um, but there have been some great ones. I mean, you mentioned Marcus Smith earlier. He had just the most incredible couple of performances at the festival and that at a time when Brighton College and Cranley were having a real ding-dong battle mm. um, Cranley I think Cranley won the title after a draw in the final which was something I've I can't remember exactly how it went down I think it was that Cranley had scored first and therefore won the title um, so Brighton College obviously you know kept a hold of that memory and came yeah. flying back the following year to, to win the title um, and we had RGS Newcastle and Jim Pollock's last year in charge where um, Phil Branting was incredible we've seen the likes of Zach Mercer have incredible tournaments Chris Shunza, uh Finn Baxter Hugh Tizard and then last year as you mentioned Johnny Smith was just just incredible who are the who are the lads you're looking to this year I mean, we've already mentioned Josh Bellamy. Who are you looking to this year and thinking, I can't wait to see them? Um, oh, it's a, it's a very good question. Um, I think um, uh, Ewan Davis for Millfield. Yeah. Um, I, I think he'll be. I think he'll he'll be the real pivotal part. If he's playing well, I think Millfield will play well. Yeah. Because um, they they seem to be working around him and. Um, a lot more sort of forward dominant uh, potentially, I think Millfield this season in comparison to look at last year and their 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 backline. You had your Sam Harris, uh, Kamanga Durback, Joe Denmark. These players yeah. out wide, you were desperate to give it to them. Um, yeah, and 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 Harris would have pulled the strings and kick passes and floating balls over the top like nobody's business. Um, but I think it's going to come down uh, uh, to, to the number nine and uh, Davis will be in there at, at the harder things. I think Hall for, for Wellington as well, after mm -hmm. his performance He's playing really at well. the weekend, um, I think has, has got all the form um, uh, in his back pocket um, to be able to try and make a, a, a nuisance of himself um, for, from a Wellington perspective. 
I think um, Wellington will be really interesting on that as well because with Rory Taylor at 10... Yeah, the, the combination. They're, they're a backline-heavy side and they probably won't want to... If they can get up in a game, I think we then may see Rory Taylor just going, I'm just going to put the ball in the right parts of the field and yeah. you guys just try and play out because they've got a backline that's capable of scoring early. I think it'd be really interesting to watch them go. Yeah. What, what about you, Angus? What, what names stand out? There's a few that are knocking around. I'm quite excited to see Ethan Dando down at, down at Brighton College. Yeah. Um, early injuries this year. was a star in lower sixth last year. I think this could be a year where he really starts to step up. Um, you know, as we've mentioned, Josh Bellamy. I think also for Wellington for Wellington College, I'm, I'm interested to see Tyler Afire. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I've watched him, he's scored. Some of them simple, some of them hard. Mm. Um, but I think, and again, it's that sort of Taylor combination out to him. I think that'll be really interesting. I'm excited as well to see some of the players that I've not really had a chance to see yet. You know, guys from Strathallen, guys from RGS Newcastle, guys from Whitchurch High, places like that where we've, you know, just by virtue of geography, I've not had much of a chance to see them. So it'd be really interesting to... Um, to see how they all go and, and I've actually not watched Hampton in person yet this season um, and I cannot wait to see them because they are they're incredible um, by all accounts um, but we're going to park the St. Joseph's Festival for now uh, trust me there's plenty more content about it coming up over the course of the next few days and indeed the weekend and we're just going to have a very quick look at the Merkiston Castle Festival um, we're not going to go in quite as much depth but I just want to have a look across the groups and maybe um, maybe just pick out a couple of teams that we think might might go far. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute machine, this festival. Gone from eight teams in 2019 up to 16 now in yeah. 2022 and running the same format as the St. Joseph's Festival. Um, describing themselves as kind of the friendly festival, which I quite like. Um, but we've got Merkison Castle, Norwich, Peebles Rugby Club, Wycliffe College, Air Rugby Club, Barnard Castle, Bedford, Mountain Mary's College, Camford, Ipswich, St Benedict's, Uppingham, Borough Muir Rugby Club, Collegiate, which of course used to be Colston's, George Watson's College and Seaford College. I mean, the some top schools there. Who stands out for you? Um, I, I think the fact that Barney and Bedford are meeting each other in the group, um, I, I think is is very mouthwatering. Um yeah. Uh, Bedford School unbeaten this year um, so far, uh, and they've come up against tough opposition, um, likes of uh, Eton, Rugby, um, just beat NSB um, uh, 52-50. Um, so uh, they're, they're coming That's in... That's insane game, yeah. by the way. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, I, was, I was there, and it was an, a proper humdinger of a game. Um, just try, it just went back and forth, back and forth, try, 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 try. <laughs> Uh, yeah, defences took a back seat for that game. They had defence um, optional, love it. Exactly. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, Bedford really going with their tails up. Um, obviously lost out in the final last year to Seaford, um, who come again with uh, the, one of the longest journeys all the way up to Edinburgh um, from uh, down south. And they'll they'll certainly um, be up for the challenge as well. Um, and then obviously... The, the Scottish teams, a complete unknown entity. Even the rugby clubs, you, you just never, you never know what's coming yeah. from them. Um, so um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of exciting names being thrown around in 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 that cup. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I think obviously as hosts, you just can't count out. You cannot discount Merkiston Castle. They're yeah. A, yeah, they're a very good team in most years anyway. And as hosts, that gives them a boost. I think it's a it's almost a shame, isn't it, that in Group 2 you've got Barnard Castle, Bedford and the Schools of Ours champions, I suppose, Mount St Mary's, all grouped yeah. together, where the, I suppose the danger is they punch themselves out. Um, but all three could go far. I think yeah, Ipswich in Group 3, Yeah, they're, they're capable of brilliance. They're capable of brilliance on any given day and they um, they are very prepared to challenge themselves, as we've seen by the sort of circuit they've been playing on, making trips up to said, but and all the rest of it Sleep, sleeping on the floor in the sports hall I believe yeah, as well and right. they did yeah. that brilliant uh, and then obviously Seaford College the champions so I think it's going to be really cool um, I, I'd love to see more festivals I just mm. I think these are such a great format you get 16 teams all in one place for the weekend playing playing different schools that you wouldn't necessarily normally play making mates that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise met I, I just think they sort of, to me, embody a little bit of what school rugby is all about. 
the fact the fact that it's all centralized it's all happening in one place and you as a as a spectator us as us as fans of schoolboy rugby in general are able to to spend a day afternoon whatever it may be just watching a showcase of schoolboy rugby because at the end of the day winning losing great so be it for in a schoolboy rugby context it's all about the performance it's all about the players at the end of the day like we are looking at the future of, of english rugby scottish rugby irish rugby and in some places that we see with black rock so um it's it's all it's all about creating those new players and if you can put all of those top stars in in one place then you, you can't you can't really ask, ask much more of it so yeah i'd, I'd love to see it and the shortened format uh, in a a 10 scenario as well gives players a, a different dimension players that potentially have a, have a rougher time of it in 15s and and won't get a look in at sevens can can find a, a mid ground um in tens and um really excel in in that format yeah i agree i i think it's i think it's so so great to see you know when it when it all happens i think the the atmosphere as well is is something that that i just find find incredible you know getting all these all these people in one place and yeah, you just it builds even even at you know I mean St Joe's is a unique situation where the the atmosphere is just mad, but when you look at the Sedba tens, the Seaford tens, um, Merkiston Castle Festival, things like that, you do still get that sense of an atmosphere building as tension starts to build as well. I just mm. think it's it's awesome. Um, but we've got a couple of a couple of little bits we've got to get through that are our regular features, and mm-hmm. you're going to be on the spot on this. Um, <sighs> We've got to pick out our top five school teams from the weekend and our greatest five half of the decade. Schools rugby only. Well, schools and sort of you know, what they've done as a schoolboy only. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the fly half this week and we're going to start with that. And um, ultimately, I think we all know where we're going to end up with this. Um, but there are a lot of names that deserve a mention and one that actually I didn't include on my notes, which was Jamie Benson from Hampton. He was just an amazing player. He was playing 12 last night for Harlequins mm-hmm. in the Premiership Cup, but a natural fly half. But I think it shows you a little bit about his qualities, that he's a relatively small bloke. And Harlequins went, yeah, have a run at 12, not a problem. Um, he was sensational back for, for Harlequins. But there have been any any lads for you in the in the last couple of years that have really stood out? Um, I think, um, obviously, leaning away from the obvious... Um, I, I always um, loved having a look at um, uh, Johan Lloyd as a schoolboy rugby sort of fly yeah, half. Yeah. Um, I think that sort small jack in the box 10, I, I always love to see. Um, I, I think um, it, it's always it's always nice and, and, and cool to have um, potentially more of your um, uh, sort of directional and, and organisational fly halves um, like your sort of Manifinopolas at Harrow who could yeah. control a game very well or a, um, a potentially like a, a Finn Smith with his kicking ability uh, and his, his skill set. But to have someone like Jan Lloyd who could, in similar vein to I think how we're going to see Josh Bellamy at St. Joe's, yeah. who could just go, right, go on then. And then just come out of nowhere with this seven point sort of moment of brilliance and, and win Clifton the game. That is what I love to see in a fly half at schoolboy level. Um, and adding that extra element. So I, I'd always sort of give a, a shout out to him. Um, I think we, we have to mention, I mentioned him briefly then, but, but Finn Smith, when he yeah. was at Warwick, yeah. um, obviously great news that he's uh, now managed to, to be picked up by Northampton. Yeah. Um, I think I think this is going to be the making of him. I think he's going to absolutely catapult and, and head into stardom, and we may see. Choose Scotland, Finn. Choose Scotland. <laughs> I was, I, I, I know uh, you'll you'll be cheering for that, Angus. But I would love to see a Smith starting for England and a Smith to come off the bench. No, um, no, Smith v Smith. That's what we want. That's what we want. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think it's his um, it's his namesake, isn't it? That I have to take the cake. Yeah, I mean, Marcus Smith for Brighton College was. Uh, we see what he does now. I promise you, to everyone listening, what he was doing as a schoolboy was almost better. It was just incredible. He was playing England under twenties, fly half, leading the team basically as a schoolboy. Um, I mentioned the St Joseph's Festival earlier, where he was running the show, and he he did one of the most outrageous things I think I've ever seen a uh, a schoolboy player do. 
he was uh, I was stood behind the post with his coach Nick Boy hmm. um, just having a chat and we were talking about Marcus and how, how good he was and um, Brighton were under quite a lot of pressure can't remember who they were playing but they were, they were under quite a lot of pressure and um, Marcus was basically in the dead ball area as well mm-hmm. and Nick is saying to him Marcus like, sensible just get the, get the ball deep get the ball deep you know you could see the play unfolding it was obvious it was going to come to him at some point get the ball deep start again up the field and Marcus, as the ball is coming to him, turns his head to Nick, winks at him, <laughs> and pretty much goes the length. <laughs> and Nick just turned to me and went, he's just too good. He's just too good. He was he was incredible. I mean, the I'm so pleased that what he showed as a schoolboy is translating into into adult rugby because you know for for a lot of players that that doesn't happen but no. it is he's just he as a schoolboy he was just magical to watch absolutely magical um, and I still can't quite believe that he was running a Premiership team from fly half as an eighteen year old <laughs> it's just crazy uh, it, it is mad um, I think. An interesting point that I'd really like to note is that you've um, we, we've got a, a list here of sort of these candidates, and it's really interesting to see just how many of these players have started a, as a as a fly half for uh, schoolboy rugby purposes, and have found themselves in all different sorts of places in in their senior rugby. You look at like Max Malin's at fly half of Felsted, or uh, yeah. as we mentioned, Jan Lloyd. Um, uh, Fraser Dingwall, who was uh, used a lot at 10 uh, for Bedford, 15 as well, but is now firmly rooted within the centres. Tom de Glanville, uh, Omanga now seems to be uh, firm rooted yeah. as, as a fullback. Um, Ali Crossdale. Um, I, I, it's, it's, it's such an interesting phenom- uh, phenomenon that, that we get these players that uh, Schoolborough are desperate to have at the heart of their teams. It just shows just how special that these boys end up being. Yeah, I mean it's I suppose it's the it's the natural thing, isn't it? You want to move your your sort of talented players to positions where they can have the most influence on the game, um, and that often means moving them to fly half. One that one that makes me laugh though is uh, is Adam Hastings, who spent his lower sixth year, despite now being an international fly half, uh, as an inside centre because there was another international fly half occupying the fly half yeah. slot, which was Callum Sheedy. Yeah. Um, just incredible stuff at Millfield. Um, but yeah, you're right. There are a lot of guys who they'll kind of probably come into our conversation more more next week in the as twelves. You know, the likes of Harry Mallander, Cameron Redpath, yeah. if Fraser Dingwall. We can pretty much put him anywhere in a backline, couldn't we? Um, the man, the man doesn't miss tackles. Um, and never has. <laughs> I've never seen him. I've never seen him miss one. It's incredible. Sure. I, I remember watching him for for Bedford in the Champions Trophy and thinking, how is this guy? Uh, how is this guy just making tackles all the time? Yeah. He's a fly half. He should be getting protected. <laughs> but that's it. Yeah, Marcus Smith locked in at, at fly half. The likes of Finn Smith, Charlie Atkinson, Orlando Bailey, who, by the way, like single-handedly won an under-15 Vars for Thomas Hardy before he moved to Beach and Cliff. <laughs> Tom Curtis, Max Malins, mm. Jamie Benson, so many guys. But Marcus Smith is our lock-in. I'm conscious that we're very short on time. So we're going to go to our top five school teams of the weekend. Um there's a couple of lock-ins for me, which is Langley Park, who came down from 31-5 at half-time against John Fisher to win 32-31. Nice. Amazing. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that gets you in. The other lock-in, Millfield, that was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Enough said, just incredible. Um, another side I'd like to see in there, actually, is Bedford Modern. Bit of a rival of yours over at Bedford, but they're having a really good season. Performing better than they have done for a, for a number of years. Went to Uppingham, who haven't, aren't having the best season. Um, but Bedford Modern normally wouldn't expect to beat Uppingham, and they got a 21-5 victory. And, and for me, for me, that gets them in, uh, which leaves us with two slots. Anyone anyone that stands out for you? Uh, Warwick, for me, um, yeah. to, to, to beat Stamford, uh, 20 points to 10. Uh, Stamford were, at the start of this season... Um, they they were that team that everyone was yeah. like, oh, is this going to be Stanford's year? They um, they are obviously having uh, big performances. Yeah, but beat Stowe. For, yeah, exactly. Um, but for for Warwick to sort of go right, hang on a sec, and and put sort of that that ten point gap on them, um, I, I think is um, yeah a, a really important um, sort of statement from them. 
Yeah, I like that. And that leaves us with one position to be filled. It's tricky. So I've got I've got a bit of a short list. Mm-hmm. Ipswich and Kirk and Grammar School, both with very big wins. I don't like putting teams in that have got big wins, but but given their opposition, they probably deserve a bit of a shout out for that. Dame Allens winning the Tom Burroughs Cup against some really strong opposition on their circuit up in the, the northeast of England. But I think for me, I lean to two teams in the same town, um, the Judd and Tunbridge. Tunbridge who had a really tough start to the season, losing to the Judd, but have pieced together a little bit of form um, and got a, got a victory against one of their biggest rivals, Radley, at the weekend. And then the Judd, unbeaten. Probably their toughest game of the season so far in terms of on the field against RGS Guildford, who, you know, let's remember RGS Guildford had beaten Epsom College for the first time in 11 years at the start of the season. The Judd get the job done. They're probably going to head into half-term unbeaten. So I'll give you a casting vote. Which one do you want to... Which side of Tunbridge Town do you want to yeah. go to? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be invited back. So this is this is quite a difficult, difficult choice to make. Um, I think just... Um, just for their progression throughout the season. And if we're talking about from the weekend, I think that that Tombridge victory is is really crucial for them. Um, I think the Judd have been performing um, really, really well throughout throughout the season and um, could very well sort of end up on this list uh, later on down the line. But for now, as a statement victory, halfway through the season, to go and, and, and beat Radley um, uh, is, is, a, is a really nice performance. So I, I, I think um, Tunbridge just edged that. Well, there we go then. That's our top five school teams of the weekend. Locked in, Bedford Modern, Langley Park, Millfield, Tunbridge and Warwick. And our greatest schools fly half of the decade. Joining Alex Mitchell in the halfbacks is Brighton College's Marcus Smith. Will, thank you so much for joining me. Late notice, I know. Please listen to Will on at Young Rugby on Instagram, Twitter, etc. Uh, he's doing some really great stuff. It's been awesome to have you, Will. No, thank you very much, Angus. Always a pleasure. Uh, you can catch up with us on at NextGen15 across all the social channels, and you can listen to us on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and see us on YouTube. And do remember to catch every second of the St Joseph's Festival live on NextGen15 this weekend. Will will be chatting away throughout the two days. <laughs> We'll look forward to it. See you next time.